We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined as always by Darius and Mike. And uh, today we are at the one-third mark of the season. The Lakers are 24 games into the 72-game season with a record of 18-6, and six, putting them on a 54-win pace. That'd be about 61-62 wins over the course of an 82-game season. They played a stinky game last night. They get a double OT win that we have all resolved to not talk a whole hell of a lot about. Um, it was a game where they kind of stopped competing in the second half in the fourth quarter in particular, but still were able to pull out a win and on to the next. But being that we're at the one-third mark, we're going to use this pod as an opportunity to kind of review where the Lakers are relative to our expectations prior to the season. And then in the second half, we're going to talk about the league and uh, focus on the West in particular, on uh, you know what we're surprised by uh, relative to our expectations one-third of the way into the season so we're gonna start with the the birthday boy Darius happy birthday my man uh talk to me yeah. a little bit about about the Lakers happy birthday buddy so the Lakers gave me um a birthday win last night uh we're not going to talk much about a birth win wow <laughs> no yeah they birthed a win Pete it was 17 points in the second overtime after scoring 18 points in the entire fourth quarter. If you want to know the difference between how they sort of really tried to win the game at the end, as far as the Lakers expectations or where they are relative to what we thought, I think that they're right around where I thought that they would be. It's some other teams in the West that are maybe a little bit better or worse at this point. And we'll hit that in the second half of the pod. I just feel like the Lakers are still clearly to me, if not the best team in the league right there. And that's about all you would want from them. A third of the way through the season, they have flashed moments of dominance. And I think a lot of the struggles that they have have been focus based more so than like scheme or personnel. Like obviously this is a Lakers pod. Everyone who listens to the pod has heard us sort of give our big picture takes about this team. Mike, if there was one thing you could point to from the Lakers that is less big picture and more individual that maybe you're surprised by, like surprised is maybe a strong word, but happy with, and then one thing that you'd like to see them sort of continue to make strides in, what would that stuff be at this point? 
You know, as you just laid the topic out that way, Darius, I immediately thought of LeBron in AD. And I'm a, it's hard to be surprised by how great LeBron is. And but he's been going more or less full tilt, as Pete referred to, with a couple of, you know, games and or quarters once the Lakers have a comfortable lead of decelerating um, baked in. But still, for him to be the MVP leader um, to me, and clearly so, and to be averaging, you know, 26, 8 and 8 uh, in 34 minutes with his percentages shooting 41% from three in year 18. Uh, it's phenomenal. That's that's terrific. And to me, that's the biggest driving force behind the Lakers record, uh, even though they've gotten a lot of contributions elsewhere. And then I think on the flip side, you know, Anthony Davis has still been absolutely an all star, absolutely an all NBA, probably second team player. But he hasn't been the completely ridiculous dominant AD that we saw in the postseason that we know is there that we know is probably going to come out um, later in this season. And so that's not a slight. It's almost like a, yeah, they're look at their, what their record is. And they haven't even gotten the you know the best out of AD yet. And they're still integrating guys like Schroeder, who by the way is on fire uh, in February after struggling some in January, we can get into that in a little bit. KCP is, has been in the slump uh, again. Harold is playing really well. Kuz is playing well. Like we can go on down the roster of guys that are playing well, but I still think that this team is ultimately about LeBron and AD and LeBron has exceeded even the highest expectation that I might've had for him coming off of such a shortened off season. Um, and AD still has a ways that he can go to get there. And uh, that, that to me is where everything else falls in line from that point from the Lakers roster. Yeah. Jumping on that same framework that you gave Darius, uh, we're better defensively than I thought we'd be. And we're uh, not as good at offensively as I thought we'd be. It's, it's like, this is about where I think, thought we would be record wise but how we've gotten there has been a little bit different the guy that kind of personifies that whole concept is Dennis Schroeder who I thought like hey we get this really dynamic offensive player and as Mike said he's really he's really been great these last few games on the offensive end and he's starting to realize where his spots are coming uh, we're going to do that half court offense pod soon I promise I promise that but him realizing and understanding like oh this is a, a place where I can attack I've loved his baseline drives in particular he's been so good when driving on the baseline it, We'll get, we'll get into that, but offensively, he's been a more a bit more touch and go over the course of the 24 games that we've played so far. But defensively, he's kicked ass. Josh Jackson gave it to him a little bit, and he's going to lose some physical battles against bigger and stronger players. You don't really knock a guy for that, but um, all in all, he's been just wonderful on the defensive end. And I, I thought the Lakers would be kind of this really dynamic offense but maybe take a, a small step back on the defensive end so that's been a surprise and then i'd echo what mike said about ad i'm actually a little concerned in that he looks we've been talking about ad right and about how he's not quite right and i've been thinking in what ways is he not quite right and for one he looks better on the rewatches than he does during the live games i often find myself a little bit frustrated during live games and that's particularly on the defensive end um he's been uh on the rewatches where he's he's been good he's been better on defense and been part of the reason why we're the best defense in the nba on the rewatches than how it feels during the game but i'm struck by He's not making nearly as many athletic plays, Darius. That's something that he looks like he's laboring a bit. And he's still great, like Mike said, right? He's still all-star caliber player. Still, again, in the rewatches, really a big part of our dominant defense. But he seems to be just kind of struggling a little bit. He's got either heavy legs. you got the free throw issue. He's down to 70% from there after being a mid-80s guy for the majority of last season, you know? And that's something where we can't just gloss over that like we assume and we hope that that comes back. But this is also an unprecedented circumstance in terms of the going from the bubble to the quick turnaround. I don't know if either you guys caught Draymond's comments about a superstar around the league, right, uh, and, and the difficulties he's had making that switch. I don't know, kind of pointed to AD to me, but that's speculative on my part, of course. Uh, but yeah, that, that's that's something where like so much of what we do is built on LeBron and AD yeah. that if one of them isn't right for any particular reason, a lot of the other wonderful things about this team don't quite lock into place. But here we are still at 18 and six. I definitely agree with both of your guys' takes on AD. I did hear Draymond's comments. Um, he was on some sort of live stream interview thing, and he had mentioned that there's a superstar from around the league who is not in shape. And he had basically said, this player is always in shape. I've never seen this guy not in shape. And this year, and it's like, 
the way that Draymond said it too, it's like, it can only be so many guys because he's like, we played against this team. I was on the court with him. I was talking to him. And then someone was saying, oh, it's either Harden or Luca. And he was just like, oh no, it's not Harden or Luca. And so then you start to think, okay, well, how many guys is it? Right. And it was friendly because Draymond's also just like, I'm going to hold my tongue here and not say who this player is. I'm not going to throw a guy under the bus and yada, yada, yada. It did sound like he was talking about AD. Who knows if he was or not. But the thing to me is, is that if people like you and me who listened to these comments thought that sounds like it could be Anthony Davis. And that to me is the connector of clearly he does not look the same physically. I don't know if either of you guys got to check out this article that Seth Partnow from The Athletic wrote a couple of weeks ago, or it might have been last week, but he wrote about Anthony Davis. And he had basically written this idea of, you know, like, 80's actually been good. And he's been good in ways that he did not necessarily expect him to be as good at at this stage of the season. He talked a lot about self-creation from a shot making perspective and how all his shooting metrics are basically there and that his dip in true shooting at the time that he wrote was basically almost all related to his decline in free throw shooting this year, which is down like 12 or 15%. And that basically if he was hitting 81 or 82 of his free throws, which is his career norm, his true shooting would be right in line with what it's been his entire career. And so I think what we're seeing from AD is almost all like he doesn't look as good physically, but his effectiveness is still there in a lot of ways. It's just not looking the same from a visual standpoint. And so our eye test stuff tells us he's not playing as well, but the metrics will probably line up and say, you know, he's still probably having a similar impact to what he's been having for most of his career. And so that's the dichotomy with stuff like this. And I think it speaks to your point, Mike, about LeBron. LeBron looks like LeBron in so many of these games. And he looks like the physical dominant player. And AD doesn't look that way, but he's still you know, grabbing rebounds. He's still blocking shots. Like remember early during the season, we had those concerns about AD's block numbers are down, but he's back up over two blocks a game. Now he's still getting steals. He's getting deflections. He had a couple of big defensive plays against Detroit last night and against Denver, where it was just like, oh, like this looks like that dude, right? But he does look a little heavier and and less bouncier to me right now. Yeah, so a couple of things. Just to put a bow on the AD thing, and I know we could spend the whole pod just talking about him, his net rating is twice as good this year as it was last year, which I think has more to do just with the lineup success. But he's he's 10, uh, plus 10 is net rating this year. Last year for the regular season, he was five. And remember, a lot of that happened when he would come in with the second unit, and that group kind of struggled, and that has gone away now. Um, so that's part of it. But then, Darius, to speak to your point, statistically, the only real difference to me between this year and last year is his free throw attempts. Now the percentage is one thing. I think that's a bit more of a small sample size. Like it's not, you know, on the season he's taken now 121 free throws, you know, that's he's made 85. Like if he made 93 instead, he'd be fine. So we're talking about the difference of like six or seven free throws, but the attempts are significantly down. Um, and that is 5.8 last year was 8.5. And that sometimes is the difference between like a superstar and an all-star. Um, the guys that are really getting there. And to me, that is, I, I get your point about sort of the physical, and but I think it's more of just a mental thing where, again, he is eased into the season mentally just off of the burden of last year and the shortened off season and just kind of wrapping his mind around that he has to get ready to play again after he had achieved his dream for the first time. That That to me is the part of this that is being undersold. LeBron achieved a dream that he had for a fourth time. You know, like he he knew how to do with to deal with that. He knew how to come come back physically and mentally off of a championship. And I think that AD was just still on this. Wait a second. I, I won. Like I, I got to the top, man. I'm on the top of the mountain. And now I got to play again against Detroit in the like with no fans 
And I think I think that's what's going on. It's gonna it's gonna evolve, and he's gonna start getting to the free throw line more. And and I don't know that maybe that's maybe Pete that's a little bit too esoteric, but that's what I see going on in AD's head, sort of from afar. I don't think it's esoteric at all. And I think it's something that you probably have a greater degree of insight on than the vast majority of people do, which actually gives me a question for you is I remember the 2011 team. Remember how that season ended with Phil kind of, you know, hitting pow in the chest in that series where we got swept against Dallas. In your experience, you've been around a couple of championship teams what is that hangover effect like because you've you've described that like you've seen this before with other people like i'm just curious on your thoughts is that do you see any any similarities like what's it like for a guy to to achieve that for the first time and then like oh now it's a a february game against detroit right so i think this is a human nature and thing and i think that kobe is the perfect person to describe it if you don't have kobe's Mamba mentality, insanity, competitive desire, desire to be great every day, desire to be great in everything you do every day. And there are only so many people in the world that are wired like that. Like that dude's fine. He wins a championship. It's like, all right, man, like time to get ready for the next one. Let's go. My mind is ready. I think what a lot of people, especially if they didn't, maybe if they didn't expect themselves to get to that point uh, when they were growing up in, in every single walk of life, then when you finally get to that level of success, there's just this natural human instinct to exhale a little bit. And that's what the vast majority of NBA players, even just in that own world, I think go through after winning the title. And then that next season is about building up to getting the mentality back. And because first of all, everybody's coming at you more. And because you're now the, you're now at the, in the middle of the bullseye and you have to, on a night to night basis, you have to take that shot. And the Lakers are a little, it's a little better for the Lakers because they always take team's best shots, it seems like, just because of the Lakers. But that gets ramped up after you win. And and I think that that is what I saw from whether it was Powell or Bynum or Lamar Odom. And you had Kobe and Fish kind of pulling them along that year. And you had Ron Artest was so key because he had the new blood. He had the new energy. And this year, you can translate that over to Montrezl Harrell. I think different kind of players, but he's like, he's going to have that. Um, energy Shooter too. And that, yeah. and exactly. Thank you. And shooter shooter as well. But you know, shooter is interesting. Shooter is seems to me a little bit more wired like that mama mentality, but like, he I love that of, dude. Yeah. He just sort of wakes up like that. And so Caruso's got that right. That, that's how he plays all the time. And uh, so that's, that's all I think it is. And that's not a critique of AD and it's probably getting into his head a little bit too much. And part of it could just be physical also. And he just is physically tired from that last year's journey where he stayed healthy for the whole time. And he went, so it's, I think it's all of those things, but it's just, uh, AD is the one that I see it affecting the most. And, and it's, I just don't, I want to emphasize, I don't think Darius that it's permanent with him. I think that he's just experiencing this for the first time. I don't think it's permanent at all, Mike, to tell you the truth. And honestly, as, as much as you can hearken, and I think that this is super valuable stuff, as much as you can hearken back to, you know, coming off of the 2009 or 2010 championship seasons, there was no championship season that was quite like last year's from a mental from a mental standpoint and from a physical standpoint as well, in terms of such a quick turnaround the nature of how last season was broken up the way that it was. Right. And so it's like the Lakers had an off season in the middle of their season, right. When they shut down for the pandemic and guys had to train, I think, especially hard in order to maintain the level that they were already at in the middle of March, right. For what they were ramping up for, for a playoff run that was supposed to start in April. And they had to try to maintain that level. And I think this was true all around the league. And so now you see it. And as we start to get into stuff around the rest rest of the league, I think you're seeing it with certain teams that played into the bubble and who have not been able to sort of recapture that same level of fitness and energy. And for other teams, too, it's just like they've had COVID infections. They've had guys go into contact tracing and have to miss games. There's been all this disruption and I think more of a mental toll this year. And I'll close with this. I don't know. I'm sure all you guys caught that Braun walk off at the end of the road trip in Atlanta. And he basically said, 
tired's a state of mind, right? Like, am I tired? Sure, I'm tired, but I don't allow myself to feel like I'm tired because once your mind tells you that you're tired, you're actually tired and you're going to play that way. There is this mental hurdle this season, I think, that is much bigger than what it would be in normal seasons. And for a team that's trying to repeat as champions, I think that hurdle is already pretty damn high for all the reasons that you just explained, Mike. But when you add in the pandemic and the burdens of totally like thrown off schedules and what the travel situation now looks like and not having all of the camaraderie that we've all discussed on the pod for a while now, I think that that bar goes even higher. And clearing that on a day-to-day basis is going to be difficult for pretty much everyone, even a player like LeBron, who I think this year, Mike... I think that you were on point, but probably a little bit kind, too, in terms of the level in which he has decelerated at times during games and decided, you you know what, like mentally, I'm going to take it easy during this stretch. And we saw it against Detroit. We saw it in several other games this year where it was just like, oh, like Braun doesn't have it right now. Now, the greatness of LeBron is down the stretch in a second overtime when he's played 45 minutes or 46 minutes, he can still summon that and he can call it back and hit a crazy step back three in order to dagger the team. But a lot of guys don't have that. And that's no disrespect to you if you don't have that ability to go back up again, another two or three or four levels to clear that bar. Yeah. Pete, can I, if if I can kick this to you with in focusing on LeBron for a second, this is the same conversation that I think happened around the NBA when people were like, were questioning his defensive effort for the season in Cleveland. And my pushback was always LeBron. He's already got the whole NBA calendar planned out by the game, by the quarter, by the minute, by the possession. He understands what it's going to take to win the title. And that's what he's doing. And I think people just take it the wrong way as if it's some sort of lapse of effort or lack of the, the effort is all towards winning the title on his platform. And it's super hard to explain that though, even to your own teammates, to your own coaches, to, like it is, I get that it's complicated. I get all the stuff that we've talked about with tone setting, which was great last year for the Lakers and defensive and effort and all that. But I'm just, I, I've gotten to the point where I, I sort of, I'm watching LeBron watch the game and he makes the calculus at a certain point. Okay. I can save X amount of my body now for the next game while still taking us to a comfortable seven or eight point win versus if somebody yells at him, like in the Cleveland game, and then you go for the, you know, the, for the 40 plus point thing, it's, it's, it's a fascinating thing to watch night to night. It, it, it's, it, it's just a, it's, it is really hard though. It's hard to get into that and then explain it and then still please the basketball gods and, and avoid, you know, the losses that almost happened to Detroit once in a while um, that are still Pete as a part of that big picture, little picture thing. Absolutely. And like, you don't wonder why a marathon runner isn't sprinting at on mile nine, right? That's a good uh, analogy. By the, yeah. yeah, I like By the same token, today also matters, right? And this is something that I've been really trying to push in. And today matters a lot more for THT than it does for LeBron, right? And those are the elements of our rosters. Dennis Schroeder finding where his shots come from in a more structured environment. That's where today really matters. Trez defensively finding the ideal defensive situations and defensive role. Mark getting incorporated. Those are today issues, right? Even Vogel making the change to the rotation. We were talking about things that surprised us in the first half of the season. Like, you heard me. I was pounding the desk about THT before the season. I, like, this kid has to play. He's got it. And Vogel going to that in the first third of the season and making a full-on rotation change is a surprise, right? Those are the things that matter from today. From LeBron, LeBron is unassailable from uh, does he know how to plan to get there in June? I don't know when the finals will be this year. I don't know if it's June or July. I think it's supposed to be July. But um, him being ready for the playoffs in the finals – I, he I, he has my full trust, and everybody on this team has a certain degree of benefit of the doubt. But seeing AD have, he has 32 dunks a third into the season. He's never had fewer than 130 or so, or I think he had 129 his rookie year, right? And so he's off of his pace, right? For And playing similar number of games, he's doing everything with his skills. So AD's in this in-between, like, 
I'm pretty sure AD is going to be able to conjure it in the second third of the season, the the final third of the season. But that to me is the most important thing going forward for these last two thirds of the season is seeing AD athletically get back to where he was, even though he's been able to be phenomenal uh, and, and dominate at times, even with his skills. And I would just say this and to sort of put a bow on this entire conversation. And this speaks to your point that you made earlier, Mike, and look how good the Lakers still are, right? And, and so as they are, this roster turned over by half, the players who they turned over are contributing players with Schroeder and Trez and Mark Gasol. Those guys are three of now a nine-man rotation. So that's one-third of the rotation that are brand new guys. THT might as well be a brand new guy because he didn't play at all last year. And so that's nearly half of your rotation is made up of new players, right? And this team is that talented to still be second best record in the league right there at the top and starting to scratch the surface now, right? Like they are showing more and more of what they can, can be, but they still haven't put it all the way together yet. And that's what makes them super interesting and comparing them to the rest of the West, I think is going to be an interesting conversation. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. In the next part of the pod. Yeah, we've we've made progress, right? We can even just as Laker fans who watch every game, we've seen tangible progress in Trez's defense in the situations in which he's being used. We're seeing over the last few games, Schroeder get more and more comfortable. We're seeing THT correct some defensive mistakes, although last night wasn't a great game for him or several other guys on, on defense. But it's all about making progress right now, right? And this is the situation that every team is in while handling all of these really unique circumstances so we're going to take a break and when we come back we're going to take a little trip around the western conference and see how the other teams out west have have handled these circumstances credit karma has always been there to help you make better financial decisions and now they want to help even more with a credit karma money spend account you can be rewarded for good money habits credit karma money is a brand new checking account where you can win cash reimbursements for making purchases When you use your Credit Karma Money debit card, you can win daily Instant Karma purchase reimbursements on items up to $5,000. Just pay with your debit card, and if you win, you'll be notified on the spot, and your Instant Karma cash will be added back to your spend account. Credit Karma Money has already given away over $3 million in Instant Karma to 50,000 Credit Karma members and counting. Open your FDIC-insured spend account for free. There's no minimum balance requirements, no overdraft fees, and free withdrawals from a network of over 50,000 ATMs. And when you make a purchase between June 8th and June 30th, you'll be automatically entered to win $1 million. Credit Karma money. Progress starts here. Right now, visit creditkarma.com backslash win money to open your free account and start winning instant karma. Go to creditkarma.com backslash win money to sign up for free and start winning instant karma. That's creditkarma.com backslash win money. Instant Karma is sponsored by Credit Karma. No purchase necessary. Exclusions and terms apply. See rules. Banking services provided by MBB Bank Incorporated, member FDIC. Maximum balance and transfer limits apply. All right, so here are the standings out west. Uh, we're recording this in the morning. We've got some morning games. Utah's playing right now, but that game is in the first quarter as we record this. So 
They are atop the West, a bit of a surprise with an 18 and five record. Lakers right behind a half game back with 18 and six. The Clippers are a game behind the Lakers at 17 and seven. Then there's a drop off after there, right? And you've got a bunch of teams you know, within three games of almost the rest of the West is within three games of 500. You got Phoenix at 12 and nine, the Spurs at 13 and 10, both the Nuggets and Blazers at 12 and 10, the Warriors at, at 12 and 11, the Rockets and Kings at, ele- at 500, 11 and 11. Memphis missed a, a few games, right, with some with COVID protocols. So they were only at nine and nine. That's part of the funkiness of this season. Uh, OKC in New Orleans at 10 and 12. Then rounding out the conference, you got the Mavericks as a surprise at 10 and 14. And then at the very bottom, uh, the, the only team that's kind of out of it, I think at this point, is the Minnesota Timberwolves at 6 and 17. Yeah, Darius, just some thoughts around West. You got a few teams in, I think, different places than we expected them. Yeah, like to me and Mike, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this because I always enjoy your thoughts on Utah. And then I think I'd love to get both of your thoughts on Dallas as well, because to me, those are probably the two bigger surprises at this stage of the season. And one is at the top of the standings and one is much lower in the standings than I think that any of us anticipated at this point. So, Mike, go in either direction there. Either talk to me about the Jazz or talk to me about the Mavs. I'm trying to think what I've told you guys on this pod or on text about Utah that led you to try to set me up like that like what like what what are you what are you wanting me to deliver I, about the I, jazz I'm innocent here, here. I have I, I was yeah. curious about that myself no and so so this is another little text thread reveal we have talked <laughs> a little bit about Utah and look Utah's at the top of the west they've had a massive winning streak there was a game that they had against the Warriors and Steve Kerr probably leveled some of the highest praise that you can get from a coach of his standing, knowing his history within the league, where he said, this version of Utah reminds me very much of the first Warriors championship team in that they're starting to figure it all out and put it all together on both sides of the ball. And you can tell that there's a comfort level there. But in some of the offline conversations that we have had, you have remained a little bit skeptical about Utah's postseason chances, right? And so they look like a great regular season team right now. And maybe that will continue. Maybe you have thoughts about whether it continues or not. So talk to me some about maybe what you envision the rest of their regular season being like, but even more so how their success now portends for the playoffs in your mind. So it does look like I've shared my opinions on Utah with you before. So yes, that is all accurate. I, uh, (laughs) first of all, I'm not, I I do want to give them respect. Like the, you're being 18 and five is 18 and five. I don't care. I don't care what happens because you can't, you can't just bake in, you know, beating all of the bad teams. That is the sign of a good team. So I do think that they are a very good team Uh, before the season started. I think we were, we were all pretty much in agreement. We had them somewhere in that four to six range. Uh, right. I, that I, I think that we both liked a few more teams like, you know, Dallas, just because of the Luka upside. Uh, and we can talk about them in a little bit or Denver uh, because of Jokic. And I, and I still think that Denver is better, by the way, than Utah. I think that they would beat them in a playoff series. So right now, Utah, to me, is the fourth best team uh, in the Western Conference. And that's acknowledging that they've been better significantly than Denver so far. Um, I just I just like the talent more. And I come back to the simple thought that I have for uh, for Utah and the reason why Darius, as you mentioned, I think it's a bit more of a regular season thing than a postseason thing is because their stars are, first of all, so Gobert and, you know, in Mitchell, uh, we don't need to get into the whole star versus superstar thing, but they are not superstars. They are not guys that you can trust to truly carry um, an offense in a postseason. And the rest of the guys on the roster don't have that in the, in the bag either. And, and I specifically am thinking about the wings and the lack of athleticism. So that's Bogdanovich, that's Ingles, and and those you know those two. One of those two has to be out there. Um, in addition to Royce O'Neal, who's been good, but you know he's a three and D guy, and that just that's not that doesn't cut it. in when you get into a postseason series against LeBron, against AD, even against you know Kawhi or Paul George, like those types of guys are just too difficult to stop. And that's without even getting to the fact that Rudy Gobert in playoff seasons past has just you just go small and you pull him out. Uh, you just pull him out of the paint. Like that's, there's a reason why like he and the DeAndre Jordan mold. So I think it's great coach Quinn Snyder, 
great system. They've had continuity now. Conley's super comfortable and aggressive. He's been great. Uh, and they've had they've had uh, really good health. They haven't missed any games until Conley's actually missing today's with a hamstring. So um, really good. Respect them. I think they they definitely have a chance to win a playoff series, but they're also not guaranteed to beat a team like Denver if they get into a four or five or or something like that in in the postseason. Or let's say that they finish higher. Let's say that they're the three um, and they get matched up against Phoenix or Portland. I don't know. I mean, that that I wouldn't necessarily pick them in that series either, uh, depending on how Phoenix gets going with Chris Paul, with Devin Booker uh, in a playoff series or, uh, you know, if it's Portland with Dame Lillard um, and with what they have going on there. So that's I, I, I'm sh- I'm sure that sounds a little more skeptical of, of a team that's 18 and five. But I just I don't see them as a as a true threat to win the West, I, I suppose, Pete, is the way that I would put it. Yeah, I think that the that Conley being significantly more comfortable there is in him having a resurgent season is a big part of that. Them having Jordan Clarkson from the beginning of the season, he's been great for them off of the bench, providing a great deal of, of scoring pop. That's a team that last season in particular, I thought they were overly reliant on Mitchell's dribble penetration and ball handling ability, especially with Conley having a down year and JC getting there a, a little bit later. And now that he's... Again, there's that whole process of understanding where your shots come from. Even though JC plays more of that wide open ball screen style, his game is not particularly complex, but he knows where he fits in. So he's he's someone that I think is um, you know has provided a great deal of, of pop for them. I've loved seeing all of the the kids kind of thriving across the league. Julius Randle might be an all star this year, right? So I, I've been keeping tabs on all of them. It's great to see JC doing that. Uh, the one part about this beginning of the season really goes back to kind of the the funk and malaise that we were talking about with our 18 and 6 Lakers right like what's wrong with the the 18 and 6 Lakers the other three conference finalists this year Darius they were under 500 collectively they have an under 500 record and I think that the same thing that uh, is impacted them has impacted the Lakers too it's just Lakers just have so much talent that they are still able to get to a particular result but that's something that I'm, I'm curious about your thoughts on the post bubble Right. And you could even I know they're not in the West, but extend out to Miami, for example. Um, but I think Denver, although I do think Denver losing Jerry and Grant, especially with Grant's breakout a bit this year, I'm I'm not as high on Denver anymore as uh, as perhaps Mike is with that loss of, of Grant. Do you think that um, do you think they have enough on the wing? Do you think they have enough to be in that top three type of tier? Or do you believe they've taken a step back? I think it's all going to depend on what happens with Porter here, to tell you the truth. They not only lost Jeremy Grant, but they lost Troy Troy Craig, Craig, who Um, was a key rotation player for them, who is now on the Bucks and not playing at all, which is interesting. So I like the addition of Jermichael Green for Denver, but so much of their wing questions are going to come down to like, does the switch flip for Michael Porter Jr.? And can he be a high level contributor on both sides of the ball? It's still TBD, like... Porter Jr. has been dangled out there as as like a future superstar in the league. And he was talked about as like the guy that in theory could get you James Harden, right? Like as like a centerpiece player when they were talking about different types of trade scenarios that the Nets could use to try to get James Harden. One of them was just like, hey, maybe they could send a bunch of stuff to Denver, to get Michael Porter Jr. And then he could be the linchpin for a deal for Harden. Turns out the Nets got the deal done anyway. No biggie. But Porter Jr. is that level of talent. At least that's how he's perceived around the league. But in the games I've seen of Denver, he hasn't particularly impressed me as like this burgeoning superstar, right? And so it's going to be tricky for them. If if I could just circle back to Utah one quick second. When I was listening to you talk about them, Mike, the comparison that came up in my head was sort of the Budenholzer Hawks, right? I could see where they've got like this dynamic perimeter player who is clearly an all-star and flashes superstar potential a la like the Joe Johnson sort of mold right and then they've got the center i think that's kind i think that's kind to mitchell i mean he's he's here's the he's shooting 43 percent this year you know yeah. like i i just i think that and he doesn't give you a ton on defense so i just i think that the narrative has gotten a little bit uh, not to i apologize darius for kind of cutting you off there it's just that to me is part of this whole thing you know is that we're just kind of baking in mitchell as this like star superstar guard 
I don't know. I, I, I don't know if he's there yet. I really like Mitchell. I think that he's super competitive. I think his head is on and his focus is on the right things. I think he wants to be great. I think dips in his shooting percentage are going to be strongly correlated to his uptick in three-point attempts this season. So it's tricky for him. I do think that he's like a tier below, but he's to me in the tier with Murray and maybe Devin Booker. I probably like Devin Booker a little bit more than him, but he's in that class of player and he's still so young. Like I envision, like, I guess I'm just really, I don't want to say high, but I really like Mitchell. I agree with you about Gobert's limitations and how he fares against stretch bigs in the playoffs and whether or not he can be punishing enough as a downhill player and a finisher in the paint to really compensate for what, teams are going to try to do to him on the other side of the floor by pulling him away from the basket like a matchup with the Clippers for example where I'm sure they're still going to play Ibaka at center and basically say like all right well defend us and we think we can defend you and what that chess match looks like the reason why I think both of us are high on the Lakers versus a team like the Jazz is that Anthony Davis is both right? He's a guy who will pull you away and who can defend Gobert and be in the center of the frame defensively to sort of take away ball handlers ability to finish in the paint and take away lobs and all of that. Do any of you have anything else on the jazz? Because I really want to hear your thoughts on the Mavericks. Yeah, I, I wanted to pick it up with well, the, the Mavs here. Pete, let me ahead, let me pause ahead. though. Let me pause Pete on on there to bring Denver into this because you were mentioning them, Pete, um, as well in the in the discussion with Utah. And there's one massive massive difference between Denver and Utah, and that's that Denver has Nikola Jokic. And Denver, as much as the Lakers boat raced them in the second half, they were up 12 at halftime. In part because the Lakers didn't have a great effort, in part because Jokic is awesome, and Jokic is going to assure that you are getting good shots for the whole game, either from him or from his teammates. If you want to trap him, fine. Same thing with LeBron. He will find a cutter. He will find the open three-point shooter, and that will sustain through a playoff series. We've seen it now in the past uh, against, again, one of the better defenses in recent um, NBA memory um, from the Lakers in that postseason. So Utah doesn't have that. Uh, Utah, when I'm lined up against them, I'm not scared of what they're going to do. They're going to shoot a ton of threes. Um, we've seen the Lakers can cut that off to an extent. And if let's say that Mitchell gets hot, okay, trap him. And then what are they going to do? I guess Conley's going to have to initiate. Okay, that's fine. He's going to take mostly step back jumpers and little floaters in the paint. They're not going to just go through Gobert. You know, Bogdanovich may hit a bunch of jump shots one game, but it's it's not something that you're scared of to me. Whereas Jokic, that's a, every time that he's on the floor, he's a real problem. And and I think that Denver's supporting talent, whether it's Porter Jr. or Will Barton, uh, that didn't you know. That, whatever it is, uh, Jamal Murray and, you know, I like Jermichael Green, et cetera, but it's still about Jokic to me in that big, big conversation, that big argument. And from a Lakers context, that's good news because guess what? They have the best answers for Jokic. Um, but from the, the rest of the league, that's where I sit still guys. When I would say I, I would, I would favor Denver um, over them over Utah in, in a playoff matchup. It's just, it's just given Jokic his, his love. Yeah, I think the nature of playoff basketball versus regular season basketball in a lot of ways is in the regular season, nobody is scheming to at least in depth for your system, right? And, and systems can be more. And that goes to your point, Darius, about Budenholzer's Hawks. You could even say the same thing about Budenholzer's Bucks, right? That a particular system can thrive in ways where individual talents and somebody who oh, can guarantee you a great shot. Like Houston mm -hmm. last year, right, with D'Antoni and even mm -hmm. Houston's uh, Phoenix's uh, D'Antoni's team. 100%. And now you could say Harden is an individual talent as well, right? That can get you great shots, although there are some limitations there. That's another branch of this tree. Let's let's save that for, for another time. But having a guy like Jokic that can get you quality looks in the highest levels of the game. Utah, like Mitchell, we've seen Mitchell really thrive in playoff series as a scorer and as a shot creator in, in some respects. But they certainly don't have a Jokic type of talent. Another guy who's like that is Luca, right? And that can get you any shot that you want and is an offensive system in and of itself. And they lost in the first round, but they look great. They pushed the, the Clippers to six games. It was a building block of a season. Little did we know that this season, they'd be where they are at 10 and 14. They are 
I don't want to say they're the worst defensive team that I've ever seen because they're not. <laughs> but but <laughs> they I just might be with that I've ever seen. <laughs> yes, oh. they're, they're, Mike, they're so bad on defense. Uh, they're <laughs> they're the worst. I don't know if this is going to make sense. This framing, like. I've seen worse teams on defense that like you knew that's just a God awful team. Like the Minnesota Timberwolves are worse on defense than the Mavs are, but I don't have any, like they don't have a bunch of older pros. It's a bunch of kids and there's, it's not the same, but of a team that had playoff experience has vets. You got, you know, you got Josh Richardson there, Porzingis, Maxi Kleba, Hardaway. You've got all these guys that have been in the league for a minute. They're not, kids they understand how to play their defensive rotations there is there is bad on defense as any team that i've seen in quite some time and there has to be like this is part of becoming a superstar in my opinion is that ability to impact on both ends of the floor even if it's a mentality standpoint right and that's the next step for luca right is as an individual defender but also they play unacceptably bad defense far too often i don't want to act like i've seen all of their games but every time i watch them i'm like this is open run man this is and so that's i mean that's the the ground zero of why they're 10 and 14 at this point you've been really wanting to talk about them so i'm curious to hear your thoughts on they're just an interesting team to me because i just thought they would be better i thought the pieces were going to fit better so so just like zooming out right so before we get technical about the mavericks and whether or not they're capable of playing in drop schemes and how tough-minded their bigs are and the types of shots that they're surrendering. I just thought that, hey, they got Josh Richardson who's going to play some defense. They still have Luka. Like, I expected KP to come back from injury and just be better than what he was. And, like, the pieces to me right now are misaligned. And I wonder a lot of things about this team like i wonder do they need to make a move do you think i think that they might mike would you be entertaining trades at this point and if so would you be looking even at like porzingis i'm on twitter i follow a couple of smart mavs fans and they seem fed up with porzingis at this point of the season now granted we're a third of the way through the year and he started the year hurt but uh they they must be talking to some Knicks fans they they might be but you know like look that was looked at as a steal and when Porzingis played some last season he looked really good and now this season he does not look like the same caliber of player like should we be giving him the benefit of the doubt that he's going to regain form this is a a typical Darius yes and no situation here because everything you guys said about the maps is right there's absolute reason for concern when you watch them the chemistry doesn't look good the the defense doesn't look good from a schematic or intensity standpoint there's a lot of red flags here's the flip side though they are really young uh, even though they have some guys that have been around for a bit they don't have anybody aside from james johnson that's over 30 that plays at all you know luca is 21 and it's the first time that he's sort of really been given the keys to this franchise where, you know, before the season, especially Rick Carlisle is likening him to Larry Bird from a leadership standpoint. And uh, Tim McMahon at ESPN, who follows the team really closely, has been saying this on multiple pods I've been listening to. Whereas like last year, J.J. Barea still was sort of the leader uh, from a from a veteran standpoint, would call guys out. If guys were missing rotations, he'd be the one in the film session. Hey, that's not cool. That's not acceptable. Like Barea's got a lot of swag. He was like their Jared kind of Dudley. Rondo type. Uh, yeah, Dudley's a good one, but Rondo to me is even is even a better one. A guy that was still playing more and influential there that the young guys all listen to. That's tougher than you think, you know. You know, so I think that that's Luca's got to evolve there still into that because what Luca does, Luca gets pissed and he yells at the refs. He gets he gives you he's got kind of like the bad body language thing with teammates, kind of like the I can't really guys I can't believe what are we doing and and that has I think there's been nobody to calm that down there yet. Porzingis certainly isn't going to do it. So that's part of it. The other part of it is, and and this is uh, kind of to defend Porzingis, he missed the whole preseason. He missed all that with an injury. He didn't start playing uh, until the second week in January. And so he's only had what, I think 10 or 11 games. Maybe it's more than that now. Maybe it's like 13 or 14 games um, played or something like that. It is. Yeah. 13 games. You know, we got to give, and they've had a ton of COVID absences. Richardson has played 15 games. You know, Jalen Brunson was out. Finney Smith has played 15 games. Maxine Kleber has only played 13 games. Uh, so they're, they're, to me, 
we, I would give them a couple of weeks. Okay. It's, it's definitely a concern. They're going to have to get it going at some point, but they are better than what they've been so far. And they still, if we go back and rewind kind of our preseason thing was where Pete said, Luca is such a transcendent player like Jokic and unlike what, what Utah might have, right. Or what some of these other um, sort of contenders or fake contenders might have. So that's where you get that benefit of the doubt. And, and I still am, I'm not completely out on them. Like I, I still wouldn't want to run into Dallas, you know, in round one as that eight seed um, more so than a couple of other teams down there, just because Luca can make that, have that same sort of imprint. And and not to say that the Lakers, for example, are going to be too worried about that for a series, but I don't think the Clippers would want, or the jazz would really love to see Dallas if they get going a bit. So I'm, I'm in wait and see mode. There is some concern, but I'm not, I'm not dismissing them yet. The interesting thing is that, even though they're near the bottom of the conference, they're like two and a half games out of the eighth seed at this point. Like the bunching up of quality teams in the West is crazy as it's really ever been. There was that one year, I can't remember the year, Mike, but like the Grizzlies won like 50 games and like didn't make the playoffs or they were the eighth seed. It was crazy. And yeah, and, there was a Suns year too, right? Where they won like 52 games or something. Yeah, or like 49 maybe. So if the entry point to the playoffs is going to be like, oh, you have to be on a 50 win pace, like that's sort of crazy. But the flip side of that is that you still have to hurdle all of those teams in order to get back into the mix. And that's where I would be concerned, even though it's early in the season. And even though I agree with you, Mike, about giving them a little bit more time, if you're 14th in the conference, just to get to the play-in game, you have to hurdle four teams to get to there. And will some of those teams fall out? Maybe, right? But the incentive for those teams is also to be like, I want to get to 10th. I want to try to play my way into the playoffs. And you know, from an ownership standpoint, a lot of these teams are like, I'd love to host a playoff game or a playoff series, especially if by the time you get to May, there could be even more limited fan exposure into these arenas and and the potential to have some gate revenue. So to me, there's a lot of incentive for all of these teams to continue to push and for Dallas to dig themselves the hole that they have. To me, it's, it's going to be tricky for them, even though they do have a real star in Luka. While they do have a lot of teams to leapfrog, no, no doubt, like the bunching, the standings change every day out West. That's something that's really been striking to me. And that's kind of my parting thought about the Western conferences is, is that I think that, and we see this out East as, East as well, but I think that everybody's just tried to be, get their footing in this first third of the season. And I think the, the basketball has gotten better over the last month, but we're not where we normally are at this point of the season. Dallas is a 14 seed with 10 wins and the four seed has 12, right? <laughs> and it, I've never seen the standings look like this as bunched up as they are. So while, and this can be said for pretty much any, any team outside of Minnesota, their final landing spot can vary. I think the top three at the very least are, are set. I think that we're starting to see a division between Utah, the Lakers and Clippers. And I hold some of Mike's skepticism about Utah, but I think this could also be a year where in the regular season, they're, they're very good, right? If, if we're going to further that Atlanta analogy, that was a 60 win team, I believe at least once during the regular season. And so is Utah with the continuity that they have, capable of, of doing that, uh, or at least the 72 game version of that. Yeah, I think so. I think that they're able to do that. But just how bunched up the West is like, no matter what your problems are, you're not out of it. And that's going to be one of the fun things to monitor over the, the course of the next two thirds of the season. One more team that's just piqued my interest a little bit this last week and change has been New Orleans. And uh, part of that is that Lonzo is starting to play. Yeah. All of a sudden, mm-hmm. starting to hit threes. Uh, he's starting to get back to kind of Lonzo ball uh, there. Like Eric Bledsoe seems to be refining some regular season form, at least. I know he's uh, he's rough in the playoffs. And, you know, Zion, he's he's still got a, so long to go on defense, but he's just, you know, trucking people to 70% shooting on offense. Ingram still looks great. Like that that team is interesting to me. I, I don't, you know, I don't think they have enough to, um, you know, to win, a, you know, to give anybody a problem in the playoffs. But they're like, that's going to be a team that's right there. They're, 
like you just said, Pete, same record as OKC. OKC is going to drop. Okay, OKC will probably finish with the fewest wins um, in the West, even uh, even uh, fewer than Minnesota. Uh, but take them out. And, you know, Houston's plucky. They're fun. They've got the best defensive rating since Harden left somehow. Yes, uh, which is interesting. It's like the all-time Bill Simmons Ewing theory thing going on there. Um, Golden State is is fun again with Steph uh, looking like Steph and Draymond starting to play better. You know, Portland is beat up as they are. They're currently in the seventh seed. Uh, and they'll get McCollum back and like, they'll give teams some problems. So it's a, it like San Antonio was the fifth seed, right. Without, with their weird roster. So it's going to be a wild, wild fit. Like I can't wait to have sort of from a Lakers standpoint, the Lakers at least should right. Be sort of up there chilling to a certain extent in the standings and just watching this mess at the bottom of the conference. That's going to be awesome. Like every game in March and April is going to be awesome in the West. Mike seeds nine, 10, 11, and 12. Right. So Houston, 11, 11. Sacramento is an interesting team, 11 and and 11. And then three wins in a row. Yeah. And then Memphis and then the Pelicans. Those are all interesting teams, man. Like John Wall looks good for Houston. The Christian Wood injury is going to hurt them. And he's seemingly going to be out for a while with with that really bad ankle sprain but those guys have redemption tours right with John Wall and Boogie Cousins and even to a certain extent Eric Gordon right and then these young teams like Sacramento and Memphis and the Pelicans all those guys are like why not us that's the mentality that they're going to have every night is why not us why can't it be us when you've got a De'Aaron Fox and a Tyrese Halliburton whose game I love and then you've got Memphis with John Morant and then the Pelicans with all those ex-Lakers who we all have a fondness for all those teams are going to want to make a push and I love the young talent in this league and I think it's represented in some of those teams that are just right outside the eight seed but are in the mix for play-in game stuff wouldn't it be great to sort of see some of those young teams stay in that zone and maybe play their way in to the playoffs against a more established team? That'd be interesting to me. Yeah, there's a bunch of teams that have complete reason to have that why not us mentality and especially those young teams in a season where there is this malaise and there is just this kind of funk to the season like I've noticed that with the Lakers, right? Every time we play those athletes, like Josh Jackson kicking our ass for most of the second half, it's like, he's, it's exhausting, right? Like these, these, if you're athletic, you're young, you got legs, there are wins to be had at, in this type of season, especially early on. And it's going to be fun. Uh, this, this was fun guys going around reviewing the Lakers at the one third mark in the league in general. Um, got another game coming up on Monday against OKC, I believe. But until then, you've been listening to the Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. Baines has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tips to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic, got it. Magic fires. It's good. And the Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Three seconds left. Van Exel to win it. It's on the way. Good. A lot of Laker fans well, sticking around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two, one, listen. Brian, 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 Trying to disrupt Rondo, he puts it in. Here's Davis, 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James.
putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's U-N-I-F-Y-D healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.